Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for being with us and letting us be part of of your day. We really appreciate it. Busy show today. We're going to talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom, get the latest pork and beef export numbers. The American Farm Bureau Federation's annual convention this year, a virtual convention, is underway. We will talk with the executive vice president for the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dale Moore, about how the convention is going and kind of get a look at uh, some of the hot topics, some of the resolutions that the delegates will be voting on and we're also going to talk with the ceo of the national association of state departments of agriculture dr barb glenn will join us to talk about priorities for ag state ag departments for the coming year also look back at a very challenging 2020 as well so all that coming up on today's program so glad to have you with us we're going to start things off though talking with the president of the national corn growers association john linder john how are you no good, Mike. How about you? Well, I tell you what, I can uh, kind of feel the pain of uh, you folks in Ohio. I, Even though I'm in Illinois, I'm a longtime Ohio State football fan, and last night was a was a tough ending to a good season. You know, it wasn't the outcome we anticipated, but, you know, when we started out looking at the football season, we wondered if we'd even have one. So to get this far was, uh, you know, that was a joy as well. It's fun to be there. Yep, there were a lot of accomplishments along the way in a very challenging year, that's for sure. All right, John, let's talk about this uh, issue. Um, again, with the small refinery exemptions, uh, you know, a year ago you get the Tenth Circuit Court ruling in your favor, and then nothing gets done on it, no action by EPAs for a year, and now it's going to the Supreme Court, which on the one hand get, will give resolution to it, but on the other hand it just delays it even more. Always a process when you involve the court system, right? So, you know, NCJ is not alone in the belief that the 10th Circuit Court got it right the first time. So here we are, NCJ Law. We, we will continue to defend the court's ruling and stand up for renewable fuel producers and farmers who have been harmed by granting these waivers. Do you have any idea when the case will actually be heard by the Supreme Court? You know, it, it does look like uh, the process will move fairly quickly. Oral arguments are likely to come late April and, you know, it could be uh, July when the Supreme Court comes with their decision, which which we hope will match the uh, Tenth Circuit Court decision, right? That's right. So in the meantime, with about a week left in the Trump administration, there is talk, there are rumors that the Trump administration might grant some more small refinery exemptions on the way out. What are you hearing on that, and how concerned are you about that? Well, we're always very concerned about these kind of uh, talks. You know, it's not a very transparent system, so we don't have a, a good handle on where it is at this point. But those estimates uh, are out there. Could could suggest that there's 20 SREs covering 700 million ethanol equivalent gallons. If these reports are accurate, corn growers urge Administrator Wheeler to not grant these 11th-hour SREs on his way out the door. 
So that'll be a huge item to watch here in this next week. We're talking with John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association. John, I know that uh, incoming Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack has been talking with a lot of different ag groups. Have you at NCGA had a chance to talk with him yet? You know, it's uh, such an interesting uh, way to roll out a new administration to to begin these conversations so early because many times you don't get to speak with these folks or even sometimes appoint these folks to light. So, yeah, so those opportunities have presented themselves. Um, you know, uh, appointed Secretary Vilsack had helped us with uh, part of our mar- market recovery plan that we've been undergoing. And so, you know, it's, we have a great relationship and we've been having dialogues around the market and the concerns of the agriculture industry and specifically corn with them. So I feel like we're in a good place moving forward. Do you get a sense from him of what the priorities will be right off the bat with the uh, Biden administration when it comes to some policies that would impact agriculture? You know, I don't believe that that's, uh, you know, where he has landed in our conversations at this point. Uh, Obviously, he will need to take his clues from uh, the administration as he moves into his office. So, you know, we'll let him... uh, kind of sort that out before we really jump into that conversation too far down down that path but uh yeah it'll be coming very quickly right the 20th is coming so a lot of speculation that climate issues will be uh front and center uh, a lot of discussion about things like carbon banks and and things like that uh, how do corn growers feel about those issues as far as what you do you have concerns about uh, a lot of regulation coming down? Or are you looking at the opportunities uh, here for agriculture? How, how do you how do you approach this? Well, certainly, we Mike, we always look for the opportunities, and we've been working in the background on these topics for quite some time now. We have a sustainable uh, committee that's uh, talking about everything that relates to corn and and its uh, sustainability, and obviously, its carbon footprint is is being defined well in the ethanol market and USDA, you know, there a few years ago, actually, they came out with a study that suggested that uh, corn ethanol is 43% friendlier in greenhouse gas emissions than petroleum it's uh, blended with. So, you know, those conversations have been taking place and we're, we're posturing ourselves to be able to work well in this space and, and attach corn growers issues uh, to what really is effective for us going forward. But, you know, there's such a great story that uh, we have to take advantage of of what really is good in, in corn production to play well in this space. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a broad spectrum. You know, we, we uh, often try to define sustainability and it's difficult because it has so many facets, uh, climate objectives, what each individual person or corporation or company has and a desire to uh, further their climate effort is quite varied as well. So landing those definitions and finding that space that agriculture is placed in, staying off regulation, you know, those kind of things are are the real key points to get understood rather quickly. And, and we'll be there in those conversations so we can put corn farmers' best foot forward 
Very good, John. Good to talk with you again, and we look forward to uh, a much better 2021 and already off to a better start with uh, market prices, and we'll see what lies ahead. Good to talk with you and look forward to uh, working with you throughout the year. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Take care. John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association. John, corn grower from uh, the state of Ohio. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan Hallstrom joins us. We'll get the latest uh, meat export numbers from um, November of last year. And we'll also look ahead to this year. How are things going already in 2021 when it comes to meat exports? And what are Dan's thoughts on what kind of year it might be. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined now by Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. What can you tell us how the rural health care system is holding up? We're seeing some leveling of increases, at least in the spread of COVID infection. Some of the case rates as percentage of total testing going down a bit. But in some places, of course, we're still seeing surges uh, with hospitalization rates of 30% or more of total admissions due to COVID. And this is, of course, presenting some real challenges for many rural communities to be able to keep up with that surge in demand. And uh, we're watching that with great interest as we come off of the Christmas holidays now. Hopefully, we won't be seeing a similar increase after the Christmas holiday like we did after Thanksgiving. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. 
a public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by the President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, good to talk with you again, and uh, always look forward to getting the numbers from you on our meat exports. Welcome back to AOA. What are the latest numbers telling us? Good morning, Mike, and thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, the last numbers that came out late last week um, came in kind of where we thought they would be. We saw... Um, Significant growth uh, for November on the beef side, up about 6% compared to the previous year. Um, and, and an exciting thing on the beef side is that we're starting to see some uh, a rebound, part, part of a rebound from Mexico. Right? As you know from some of our previous conversations, Mexico and Latin America have been lagging. Uh, we, we're still in the midst of a COVID lockdown uh, down there today. Tourism is... Uh, very, very slow. So it was encouraging. By no means is it back to normal, but it's encouraging to see Mexico uh, on the beef side show significant growth. We had growth of 23% for November, almost 23,000 tons. So by far the best month uh, since early this year. And, and that complements the pork side well because pork the last three months now has seen a rebound as well uh, into Mexico. So still waiting for the year-end numbers. What are you expecting for the year of 2020? Well, I think uh, on the beef side, we're going to end up down a couple percent, probably 3 or 4% year-on-year. But uh, we, we're, we're improving. I mean, we, we thought the last quarter would be robust, and it looks like it will be. Uh, so that provided some pretty good momentum going into 2021. So for 2021, we really see that the vast majority of the rebound from the COVID impact happening in 2021. So the forecast for 2021 will be, uh, will be growth. Uh, right now, I think we're at 10% is our estimate, which would be a new record for beef in 2021. But, but it's a little early to tell for sure. On the pork side, we're going to end up 2020 with a new record. In fact, we're already at a new record now through 11 months. Uh, of course, a lot of that is driven by China. Uh, but we, we do see China backing off a bit in 2021. And, uh, but the good news there on the pork side is that uh, the growth in November was broad-based. It wasn't only China. I mean, we're looking at Mexico, as I mentioned earlier, up 13%. Japan was up 6 um, Chile was up. And Philippines was up big. So you have several markets contributing to the cause on the pork side, and I think that will continue as we go into 2021. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, you, you mentioned you think China will be down some this year. Is that because uh, of their own rebound from African swine fever, or are they starting to uh, catch back up or, or restock? you think that's part of that? Without a doubt. Yeah, we... Uh, we know for sure that they're repopulating. Uh, they're making progress. Um, they're my, by no means back to normal, though. I mean, they're still in a, in a rebound phase or recovery phase. So 
while we think that we're going to be down in 2021 and our numbers are roughly 15 to 20 percent down, keep in mind that comes off a record year uh, uh, for 2020. Um, so even though we're down 20 percent, 2021 will still be the second largest year ever for imports of pork from the U.S. So still, still very important uh, market. But uh, yes, the uh, the restocking, so to speak, of their domestic pork is definitely playing into it. Dan, explain for us uh, how COVID impacted uh, the Meat Export Federation's ability to to work in country on the ground to to develop markets and. How is that? Is it changing any yet or getting more back to normal or are you still dealing with those restrictions? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think since really since February of 2020, we've been in a, a mode of being very fluid, uh, adjusting on the fly. Um, and, and markets, some markets now, Korea is a really good example. Korea has had three or four spikes since last April, let's say. Uh, we, we start to think that we're looking good and there's re-spikes. In fact, there was just a new spike here uh, at the end of December um, and they had a new lockdown. Uh, now it looks like maybe it's getting a little bit better since we're almost into mid-January. Uh, I, I think this is the one caveat to, you know, things look pretty good if you forecast into 2021, but we still have a lot of unknowns around COVID-19, around um, food service, uh, tourism. These are some big, big drivers in some key countries around the world, especially for beef, but pork as well. Uh, you know, Latin American region, you know, Central America, Mexico, tourism is huge. Well, tourism tourism is rebounding, but I'd say it's only t- maybe 20 or 25% back to normal. And, and an example of Latin America, it's because of domestic uh, domestic Mexican citizens and Central American citizens, you, you know, that are, that are going out into these tourist spots. International travel is still very, very much restricted on tourism. And that, that's just one example. I mean, you could go around the world and talk about Hong Kong, talk about Japan, where international tourism is really, has not really even started back up yet. So the, the, the bad news is that that's an unknown. I can't tell you when that will be back to normal, hopefully sooner rather than later. But the, the positive of that is that we have some tailwinds there that U.S. beef and pork are well positioned to take advantage of when they do get back and start seeing some rebound due to uh, international travel for tourism, for example. Well, I remember talking with you a year ago about the optimism for 2020. I guess if... If nothing else, the year taught us to expect the unexpected. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But the thing I keep going back to is that uh, despite all the chaos and disruption, and there's been a lot of it, not only globally but here in the U.S., in my opinion, people are still eating. And in some cases, consumption is up in certain parts of the world for for beef and pork. So, uh, you know, when the smoke clears, it's not all bad news. And... uh, you know, and it's good to know that people are still are still eating. And and the, and the other thing that's important here is that some of these new trends and the real explosion on e-commerce. You know, online delivery platforms, online pickup platforms. I don't think that those go away. I think that uh, that was a trend that was there pre-COVID back in 2019, and and what COVID has done is really jump-started that uh, that mode of uh, selling and. Uh, 
that'll still be with us to some degree as we go forward. So another mode to increase uh, business, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting domestically and internationally. Uh, we talk a lot about demand, but also it's going to be delivery to meet that demand. Right, yes. Yeah. The logistics uh, network, um, delivery logistics has really been put on its ear um, you know, because of the, there was a drive for convenience in a lot of these markets, Korea, Japan, China, they, they had a real drive for convenience. Um, you know, they don't want to spend an hour and a half cooking a meal. So you'd have a, a home meal replacement kit maybe delivered to your house, uh, and, and you could fix a meal in 10 minutes, for example, that sort of demand, uh, for convenience was rocking and rolling, uh, early this year before COVID. And what COVID did is it just it like put it on steroids in terms of demand because uh, people didn't want to be out in crowds. They didn't, they wanted to have this minimal contact. I mean, this is the same sort of things you saw in the U S in certain spots. And, uh, and to what extent that stays with us going uh, when things get back to normal, whatever the new normal is, I have to think that a lot of those trends will stay with us, which is a positive. I mean, it's another mode to move our products, and uh, and uh, there's been a lot of change in the last 12 months, and I think that will probably continue. Well, as we wait for the final numbers from 2020, and you projected they might be down a bit, but when you, all things considered, I would have to say it was pretty successful 2020 on meat exports. I totally agree. Yeah, I think uh, I think the industry in general, uh, production agriculture industry, has responded tremendously to all these changes, all these uh, different requirements, and uh, and in the end, we're still supplying a very high quality, safe product, and uh, you know that's worth a lot uh, domestically as well as internationally. So yeah, I think we're well positioned and. Uh, I'm looking forward to the possibility of new records on both beef and pork exports in 2021. That's a very real possibility. Yeah, we hope so. Dan, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime. Take care. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Well, it's uh, still a time of virtual meetings. The American Farm Bureau Federation annual meeting is underway in a virtual format. We'll talk about how that is going, take a look at some resolutions delegates will be uh, voting on, and also kind of look ahead uh, for some of the challenges and opportunities for 2021, the transition underway in Washington, D.C. Lots to talk about with the Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dale Moore, joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP. 
so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain markets are higher across the board with the exception of soybean oil as traders pat their feet in anticipation of the USDA reports out at 11 a.m. Central Time. The data sets along with South American weather will help set the price direction for the next few months. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading a penny and a half cent higher at 4.93 and three quarters. The May contract up a penny at 4.95. March soybeans trading eight and a fraction higher at 13.80 and a half cent. The May contract up seven and a fraction at 13.77 and a fraction. Chicago wheat March trading 12 cents higher at 6.46 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat March up 12 and a half cent at 6.06 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat March trading eight cents higher at 6.14. The May contract up seven and a fraction at 621 and three quarters. Following firm market pressure in nearby live cattle futures on Monday, traders are returning to the complex with hopes and expectations of finding much needed support to add a spark to the dull January market tone seen over the last week. Firm support in pork values continues to add momentum to lean hog futures with the April lean hog contract up 22 cents at 73.17, the May contract up 17 at 77.97. March feeder cattle down 62 at 136.27. The April contract down 65 at 138.37. April live cattle trading 60 cents lower at 117.75. The June contract down 57 at 114.37. In cash cattle country, southern asking prices are starting out at around $114 but have yet to be established in the north. Beef cutouts are expected to be mixed with light to moderate box movement. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 12 points. The Nasdaq composite up 14, the S&P 500 down 1. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The American Farm Bureau Federation holding their annual meeting this week virtually. Joining us now to talk about it is Dale Moore, Executive Vice President for the American Farm Bureau. Dale, good to talk with you. How's it going? It's going great, Mike, and I so much appreciate uh, you giving us a chance to, to talk about how things are going. Uh, and I just 
was sitting here thinking about, you know, today's lineup and some of the speakers we have at this evening's session about how, uh, you know, one of those, uh, Commander Rourke, uh, who had visited with us out in San Diego the last time we were out there, and I believe you were there as well. And, and so we're pretty excited about that and having Secretary Sonny Perdue uh, visit with uh, our members tonight. But but it is a, it is a very interesting uh, kind of kind of change, and we've addressed one of those issues that uh, you have talked to me about, and some of your colleagues have as well, which is the fact that we are virtual has enabled us to record all of those uh, workshops that people put a lot of time and energy and and information into, and that come that that put that information out to share. So now you can sit back in the comfort of uh, your own lazy boy and and just uh, watch all of those uh, sessions to your heart's content. Yeah, that is one of the things we have learned uh, through this virtual time. Uh, those are some of the advantages. Perhaps more people can access that information, people that would not have been able to attend the meeting in person. But it's, we sure miss the, those face-to-face -face encounters, don't we? Those in-person events. Look forward to getting back to those, hopefully, sometime soon. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I remember my time on Capitol Hill that sometimes more work got done out in the hallways, I think, than, than in the meeting rooms. And that there's nothing that uh, quite replaces that face-to-face -face opportunity to visit and, you know, run into folks in the in the train show and uh, just uh, kind of catch up with folks you haven't seen in a while. And uh, just like this opportunity to visit with you, as much as I enjoy getting to do this over the phone, it was a whole lot more fun to sit down and in your space at convention and just have a conversation in a much more relaxed way. We're talking with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dale, can you kind of preview the delegate session for us? What are some of the uh, key resolutions that delegates will be voting on? Well, I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, when we talk about being virtual, our resolutions process was also virtual. I didn't get a chance uh, in an opportunity, uh, was, you know, I didn't attend any of the state annual meetings like I normally get a chance to do. Uh, so it's still a little bit uh, interesting. Obviously, things related to, uh, you know, anticipating what that next farm bill may look like, uh, things related to the COVID-19 packages. Uh, and we've seen, you know, Congress has passed and, and uh, you know, Secretary Purdue and his team working to implement some of those provisions more to help uh, on, on the, the COVID-19 recovery front uh, certainly when we look at ag labor we look at uh, trade we look at all those all of those things are issues that we anticipate uh, seeing and hearing more from our delegates uh, as they gather up in their various places around the country and i think uh, we're going to see a lot of those issues uh, you know continue to look at how do we work with uh, the new administration the new congress uh, how do we hang on to the progress that we made relative to uh, you know things like uh, the new water rule and, and some of the progress we're seeing made on ag labor, those are going to be the kind of regulatory reform issues that uh, we are hopeful uh, and, and I, I'm sure that our grassroots delegates have seen and want to make sure that we've got all of the policy in place we need to, to help get through these next few years. Dale, do you sense any apprehension by your members of, of the unknown of what might be coming, whether it be changes to waters of the U.S. or maybe on taxes or environmental policies or perhaps more regulation coming back on them. Is there an apprehension of, of those things? Uh, we've not heard an apprehension uh, in the sense that folks are really worried about it. I think that it's more in the context of, of let's make sure we know uh, that we have all of the policy in place and that we have uh, 
the resources, you know, that the board's got, the flexibility they need to make sure we can address whatever issues might pop up. I think that seeing, uh, you know, with Tom Vilsack's name come up as Secretary of Agriculture, there is there is uh, some comfort knowing that, uh, you know, the handoff between, you know, Secretary Purdue to Secretary Vilsack, uh, that Mr. Vilsack will be hitting the ground running. I mean, he, he spent eight years as Secretary of Ag. He knows that department backwards and forwards. And in talking to, you know, some of the transition teams, team members, uh, it's been very clear that Secretary Purdue's got his folks working very diligently to get things as prepared as possible for that handoff. So agriculture is in good hands uh, when it comes to our, you know, key cabinet agency. And then when you look up on Capitol Hill, the, the new incoming leadership to the committee, uh, while they, they, may, they may not be too familiar to all of us in agriculture as, you know, chairman uh, or as, you know, ranking members, but they certainly are not uh, strangers to the ag committees. Uh, you know, Chairman 2B soon, uh, David Scott, I guess he is now chairman, uh, from Georgia. is somebody that uh, we have worked with on and off over the years in a lot of different areas. Uh, he's been a very senior member of the House Ag Committee the last few cycles. Uh, G.T. Grant, the ranking, uh, excuse me, G.T. Thompson, the ranking uh, Republican from the state of Pennsylvania. Again, somebody that our Pennsylvania farmers and livestock producers very familiar with and has worked with us as, uh, you know, Farm Bureau Golden Plow winner, somebody we know well. Uh, we look over on the Senate side, Debbie Stabenow, who has served as both chair and ranking member of the committee, uh, you know, appears to be taking, uh, you know, going to be in the, in the position of taking over as chair of the committee uh, again, following uh, Mr. Roberts' retirement. And then, uh, you know, Senator Bozeman from uh, Arkansas coming in, again, another individual who has worked very diligently very hard for agriculture uh, in all of his positions, but uh, now coming in as the ranking member, and he's bringing back staff uh, that we know uh, very well. So when you look at all of the lineup uh, that we've got, we've got great leadership uh, on the Hill, great leadership uh, that has been serving us well in Secretary Purdue and, and, uh, and returning leadership. So the agriculture complex got a lot of folks on our favor that can keep an eye, help us keep an eye on things. And then as we go forward, uh, you know, the House of Representatives, the majority is much tighter. The Senate, uh, I don't think you get much closer than uh, the deciding vote on a lot of things is going to be the vice president. Uh, and I'm sure that that vice, soon to be vice president uh, Kamala Harris uh, was not thinking that she would continue to have a, a regular vote uh, in the Senate, given uh, that we're now looking at a 50-50 situation uh, as near as we can tell. So with all of that, Mike, uh, I, I think that there is, uh, you know, some some tension in there that just, you know, kind of that unknown, as you pointed it out, but when it comes to being ready, uh, being ready to roll forward, uh, we feel like we've got good friends on the Hill. Uh, we're going to have folks that we have worked well with uh, in previous administrations at USDA. And um, I guess we just got to be ready and and. You know, team, the teamwork continues, uh, not only with us and the folks in Washington, but uh, as with yourself, as you help us keep an eye on things and what you're hearing out in the countryside. So many issues I know you'll be uh, working on. Uh, one of those will continue to be getting broadband to rule America. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit at that. Is, uh, you know, Mr. Duvall has been working from his farm for a good part of this this pandemic time frame and, and uh, 
the challenges of uh, getting a good Wi-Fi connection for thousands of Zoom meetings and Teams meetings and other platform meetings that we've we've been having. Uh, you know, the other day he was trying to connect with us and his phone kept cutting out, his laptop kept cutting out, and and Zippy Duval declared. He said, "I'm I'm not sure how the board's going to take this, but I've declared." broadband deployment our number one issue so we were all kind of laughing about that a little bit but it is something that uh, is going to be so critical because um, you know we're still in the middle of this pandemic storm you mentioned it earlier uh, and it seems like a long ways off but it's not the writing of another farm bill and uh, these get increasingly difficult each time they come around i would anticipate this one will be extremely difficult with some uh, major issues to address and and there are always new faces and voices at the table. Well, yeah, that's something, Mike. That you uh, you know you watch this very uh, carefully, uh, and and I you know as a watcher of the Congress, having had the privilege of working up there too, that um, you know it seems like uh, you know the institution's been around forever. Yet, if you really sit back and watch, I can think from. The time I served on the House Ag Committee, you know, I left the committee staff uh, in January of 1997, and there is virtually no one uh, as a member of that committee that is still on that committee when I worked for the committee. Now, that's, you know, 25 years ago or so, 24. But you look at that, it's, you know, there are increasing turnovers, uh, changes, folks moving on and off the committee, staff changes, uh, and so that, that Ag Committee reminds us of how important it is, you know, earlier uh, this year and late last year, uh, you know, our our advocacy team put together basically just a kind of a handbook on what the key issues are for American Farm Bureau's members, our farmers, ranchers, our rural communities. And it was meant as much as something that our states could give to, you know, their newly elected members of Congress, as well as returning members. You know, committee lineups change, things change, the majorities change, majority uh, margins change, all the different dynamics that occur. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it just reminds us how important it is to take time, again, particularly because we're doing so many things virtually, to make as many connections as possible to our elected officials while we are talking about who we are before we get to a challenge. Yep, a lot, uh, a lot of moving parts, that's for sure. Well, Dale, good luck on the rest of your uh, virtual uh, meeting. We look forward to seeing how that goes this week and uh, what the uh, delegates, uh, how they vote on uh, some key issues. Thank you for the update. Anytime, Mike, and thank you so much for being part of our process and, and for being a great partner all these years. Thank you. Dale Moore with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer, the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. We're looking at the December numbers. Perhaps the barometer numbers are up. Yeah, the, the barometer increased to 174 in December. But the real story of this, the index of the current conditions and index of future expectations really moving in, in different directions or there's more divergence between those. And specifically, the index of current conditions reached an all-time high of 202 in December where the index of future expectations is relatively flat in December. And so what's going on here, obviously, is because of the recent increase in prices, people are very optimistic about the outlook for the next year. And certainly with the prices that we've seen, uh, even since this, this survey was taken, that there's room for optimism in the next year or so. But they're a little less optimistic when you look out five years. And so, and so that's the real story this month. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're talking with Todd Diesel, a CHS crop nutrients expert, about crop nutrient decisions for 2021. Todd, with the harvest season wrapped up, and overall, for the most part, it did go pretty smoothly, what trends are we seeing this year in terms of fertilizer supply and pricing? Well, supply is quite adequate at this point, and I would say from a pricing standpoint, we suggest a grower refer to what I call the Fertilizer Affordability Index, which really you're just doing a comparison of crop nutrients to grain prices. And I ask the question, how many bushels of grain does it take to buy a ton of fertilizer? And going back over the last 10 years, if we look at current values for crop nutrients today, they're all below the 10-year average when compared to new crop grain. So in essence, growers can do their own local comparisons, but in most cases, probably an opportune time to build up nutrient levels in the soil. What information would you suggest farmers share with their crop advisors and crop input suppliers during post-harvest conversations? Well, Mike, the first thing is to make sure that they have a current soil test so nobody is guessing. And once you have that, communicate your planting intentions for next spring. I often say there is no shortage of crop nutrients, only a shortage of good discussions. So be sure to get with that local cooperative and make sure that they know what you need for next spring. 
That's Todd Diesel, a CHS crop nutrients expert. Todd, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Dr. Barb Glenn, CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Dr. Glenn, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good morning. Uh, Before we look at 2021, I want to look back at 2020. Uh, Certainly a challenging year for everyone. How has it most challenged State Departments of Agriculture, which provides so many different services, more than most people realize. Uh, How have your departments been able to uh, adjust and and deal with the challenges of 2020? Well, that's a great question, Mike. 2020 did bring a a whole boatload of unforeseen challenges to our commissioners, secretaries, and directors. Job number one was to continue business, business continuity. Uh, They play a very important role as co-regulators with the federal government, um, being the interface to farmers and ranchers on so many voluntary programs. So we did that. Number two, we had to add on the large complement of work that was necessary to feed the Americans, and that was new partnerships uh, galore. I'm really proud of the resiliency of our farmers and ranchers in bringing products forward. I'm really proud of our members who found a way to stitch those together with some new and unique partners, Mike, so we could feed the hungry people in our community. So it, it was all about maintaining resiliency for rural America, and that's where we landed. That's what we're doing as the clock ticked to January 1. And, of course, the challenge of even tighter budgets in many cases trying to get that work done. Yeah, absolutely. The resources that our departments need to accomplish what I just said just uh, increased by orders of magnitude. So we're really grateful to the federal government, for Congress, the federal government, for providing some uh, tranches of funding. Governors then allocated COVID-19 aid package monies to our state departments of ag, and we get it to the farmers and ranchers who need it. So it's a continuum, um, but there's always that need for more funding slash resources, no doubt about it. So we're in a new year. What are your priorities for 2021? Well, we could see that uh, the food supply chain, although it remained strong and Americans were confident, um, it it had some gaps. So 2021, uh, really, it's essential that we have uh, grow even more new partnerships. That's our focus. Hunger continues to exist in America, so it's invaluable that our state departments of ag are effectively responding to these unique needs of producers all the way to the table. So so we're working on our uh, and have announced our 2021 priorities and no surprise, job number one is on the food systems front. Um, and job number one there, Mike, is keeping our farm workers, our food processing workers, plant workers safe even as we also keep the food safe. So that's priority number one, and we're starting there. We also work very closely on many um, 
food processing and distribution channels, trying to increase how we get uh, food products to uh, hungry individuals through our partnerships with charitable and other organizations. So just a lot of effort will be placed continuing on food systems because we continue to have hungry Americans. With the transition in Washington, D.C. now, um, as you work with a new administration, uh, what will you hope to be able to get from the government in, in your partnership with the federal government? Well, we work very closely with um, USDA, FDA, and EPA, and among many other departments, and we'll continue to do that. That state and federal partnership needs to remain strong under President Biden's administration, and we look forward to that. Uh, we work um, most closely with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Our members are implementing programs, Mike, that come down from the laws uh, assigned to the USDA's jurisdiction. So we're going to see, I think, some new emphasis on uh, infrastructure. We're excited about that. That includes not only roads and highways and ports, but also broadband expansion. So we're working very, very um, rigorously with colleagues in, a, in a coalitions to advance funding for, for broadband. Uh, we see that as a key component to keeping resiliency and growing it in rural America. So we, we need that. Of course, uh, the administration, I think, is going to be interested in that. And then, uh, of course, uh, Congress has already shown, um, and the uh, President-elect's um, transition teams, their, the importance of understanding uh, the state of the climate. You know, farmers are the first environmentalists. We know weather's our number one risk. So what can we do to be resilient? What can we do to assure that farmers are taking credit for the great climate smart practices they're putting in place? We're going to work on that. Uh, we have, a, we are a founding member of a new alliance, Mike, called the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance, and we've joined a, a few of our ag-allied organizations, and we're united in working with Capitol Hill and and uh, the administration toward uh, these voluntary programs uh, founded in science that promote agricultural productivity and resilience. So those are two big areas that we would see with the new administration that we'll be working on and real quick real quick barb but what would you say is your biggest challenge you see it for 21 i think our biggest challenge is to educate and um, work closely with the new administration and the new congress it's uh, in washington dc it's constant that we need to share our stories share our priorities uh, talk about food and agriculture and why uh, commissioner secretaries and directors are closest to their customers so we're going to work on uh, outreach, education, and then uh, advocating for our policy priorities. Well, we certainly don't want another year like 2020, but there were lessons to be learned, and we found out a lot of things uh, uh, that can help us, I think, moving forward. And we look forward to working with you and uh, your state departments of agriculture across the country in this coming year. Dr. Barb Glenn, CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Dr. Glenn, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Take care. All right, coming up tomorrow, we'll have a lot of numbers to analyze, the latest uh, crop report numbers, the uh, export numbers, WASDE numbers. We'll get a lot of analysis for you and the impact uh, on the markets moving forward from the report. All that coming up on tomorrow's program. Hope you will join us right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.